Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Baylife Church Port Stevens. We hope you find this message challenges and inspires you in your daily Christian walk. For more information, visit www.baylifechurch.org.au. May the meditations of my heart, the words of my mouth be acceptable to you. May your words and only your words be heard today, and may they find their home in every open heart here. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right. I think I have Aiden back there on the slides with me. None of this is rehearsed. <laughs> but we're continuing the Fearless series, and our theme verse is from Second Timothy uh, 1, 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's good stuff. Not a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Uh, if you uh, if you come to men's group uh, on the not the not the bonfire men's group, but the uh, every two week men's group, we're going through parables, and uh, we're in Matthew, and uh, there's three parables that are put together. The parable of the treasure in the field, the pearl of great value, and the dragnet full of fish. And it finishes with this. Jesus asked them, have you understood all these things? And they go, yes, we did. Now, if you read the parables, you know that they probably didn't. But Jesus gives them this odd, I call it a backhanded parable just after. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Hmm. Now, I've heard it said that the Old Testament is like a richly furnished but dimly lit room. It requires the light of the gospel to see everything clearly. <clears throat> now, today's character in this fearless series is one that even if you were in Sunday school, you probably never heard of because I hadn't. Uh, his name is Beniah. Now, you heard that right, Beniah. Now, I was a bit perplexed when Greg asked me to speak on him um, because there seemed to be so little to tell about him. But after looking into this character, I found much, much more, um, just many things. And it's many, it's kind of like that with God. If we just take the time to read, pray, and search for understanding, we are richly rewarded. So I found Benaiah to be an old treasure, and we're going to bring him out of the back and we're going we're gonna to talk about him. So what do we know about him? <clears throat> and this is where I was perplexed. This is in 2 Samuel 23, 20 through 23. Favorite numbers in there, 23. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He too was as famous as the three mighty warriors. He was held in greater honor than any of the thirty, but he was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. Okay, so this guy is amazing. He's fearless. You know, he goes up against really tough creatures. He takes down, I'm going to guess, simultaneously two lion-like warriors, if you look at some of the Hebrew in there. He moves on then to a real lion, 
Men need a drink. Lion's in the cistern, you know, with the water. Lion can't get out. Lion can only exercise half of the fight or flight mechanism, and so he's ready. <laughs> but Benaiah goes in there and takes care of him. Next comes the tall Egyptian. Now, he's not quite as tall as Goliath, <clears throat> but he is armed with a long spear, so that means you're not going to get very close to him. But, and during the battle, it doesn't say what happens, but I'm going to guess. Benaiah went in there fully armed, but was reduced to just a club. And that's a pretty small weapon against an iron-tipped spear. And somebody manages to get it away from him and takes care of the Egyptian with it. <clears throat> so this is the passage that Greg wanted me to take, speak about. So I'm sitting there going, so what are we to say here? Go, Benaiah. Go kill somebody. Go kill some lion or something. Yay. <clears throat> so that was my problem. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> so I don't know what you're going to get out of this. <clears throat> So I thought, what can one do with this story? How do I lift this man as a shining example to follow? How do I clean all the blood off this paragraph and present it here today, clean and nice? You know, I want to kind of say, like some movie, what do I got? Uh-oh. I'm going to tell you the truth. <laughs> I gave him an option of about half a dozen guys in the Old Testament. And I said the name Beniah, and his eyes went like saucers. He went, Beniah? I've never heard of Beniah. Who's Beniah? And he said, I'll do that one. And uh, so, so I just thought I should clear that up in the process of this. Okay, some, some small embellishment on my part. <coughs> yeah, some small embellishment. But, you know, it was like, wow, this is really a tough thing. It's like, okay, uh, nothing to see here, citizens. Move along. Go back to your lives. Sorry for the mess. But uh, it's rad, and now we're going to talk about it. Uh, this man, Benaiah, you know, we know that our God is a God of the living and not of the dead. So this man, this man's spirit lives now in the presence of God. So it's, it's, it's okay to talk about him, and he is quite heroic, and I think you'll find out after I get through here. And Scripture calls him a man of valor. And I think we haven't seen his greatest feat yet. It's later on. <clears throat> it's interesting that the names of the Old Testament characters generally fit that person's character. So I looked up our dear Benaiah and found that his name means God builds. And building is one of those major, major bi biblical themes. But as you would know, what is being built is what really matters. Or I'm sorry, who is directing the building is what matters. In terms of mega structures in the Bible, there was the ark that carried Noah, his family, and all those animals through the 40 days of storm and floods. <clears throat> God specifically directed Noah to build of gopher wood, I hate gophers, and tar. It's a symbol both of Noah's faith to do this 60-year project and of God's salvation. There's also a great structure in the Bible called the Tower of Babel. Now, that project was not directed by God, but was built by thousands of folks resolving to build a city, and this is quoting them, whose top may reach into heaven, one that will make a name for ourselves. But the tower, as you know, was a symbol of human pride and rebellion as well as God's judgment, and God scattered them. So it truly matters who is directing the building, and when God builds, it's going to have eternal value. So in your own life, what are you building? I mean, is it something that God has instructed you to do? Or are you building a tower? Okay, so, so we know what his name means. Where was this from? What was his story? And how was God building Benaiah? 
And I put a word cloud up here to put it all just in the right emphasis and all the words I'm going to say so we can go have tea and coffee right now because you got it all, right? <laughs> Should be there. <clears throat> well, to really, really understand this guy well, you have to have some backstory. Uh, many years earlier, the people cried out to the prophet Samuel for a king. It was in 1 Samuel 8. They said, now, Samuel, you are old and your sons are not faithful. Now appoint a king to lead us such as the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So Samuel warned them, saying, this is the way the king you're talking about operates. He'll take your sons and make soldiers of them. He'll put some for to forced labor on his farms, plowing and harvesting, and others to making weapons or wars or chariots in which he can ride in luxury. He'll put your daughters to work as beauticians and waitresses and cooks. He'll take your best fields, vineyards, and orchards and hand them over to his special friends. He'll tax your harvests and wine to support his extensive bureaucracy. Your prized workers and best animals he'll take for his own use. He'll lay a tax on your flocks, and you'll end up no better than slaves. The day will come when you will cry in desperation because of this king you so much wanted for yourselves. But don't expect God to answer. So, so um, I'm sorry, Samuel was instructed to anoint a young man. It says of a stalwart character. He stood head and shoulders above the crowd. His name was Saul. All things went well for a time, but Saul was rejected as king by God for various reasons. Not going to go into those. And all the things that the prophet Samuel warned the people came true. <clears throat> so the people, as a result, were distressed, some deeply in debt, and many discontented. A very large, sorry lot of folks. Meanwhile, David... David is introduced in the story. See, it takes a while to dig down to find how Benaiah fits in here and where his role is. <clears throat> so stay, stay with me. <laughs> so meanwhile, David's coming into the story. He's anointed as king even while Saul lives. He kills Goliath at the age of 15. He's in Saul's service. Saul's jealous of him and tries to kill David more than once. And David flees for his life to Israel's enemies in Gath, Goliath's hometown. Boy, he was desperate. And then we pick up the story again in 1 Samuel 22. It says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about him, they went down to him there. All those who, all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Now, I find this interesting that you know, it's, it's really true today. If you're in service to the true king, it's really a voluntary thing. We don't have any locks on the door here. No one made you come here. So Benaiah offered his service as a voluntary thing. He wasn't conscripted. Um, and we know that service to the world is compulsory. Just don't pay your taxes and see what happens to you. You don't have a choice. But we do have a choice with the true king. And we know that is Jesus. And uh, our lives, we, we lay down... And completely voluntarily. So who was Benaiah? He was one of David's 30 mighty men. He wasn't, it says it wasn't in the top three, but he was best known of the 30. He was, you know, I thought kind of interesting things to say about him. He was the son of a priest, a pastor's kid. He was likely being trained as a priest himself. 
He was a man in service to the true king of all Israel, a man you could trust with your life, a man who would even lay his life down for his king. The exploits that are recorded here in the Bible are not some sort of staged cage match. These were real things. You know, this was life and death. He really did lay his life down. But, but God gave him victory over the king's enemies. So we're still left with the same question, and I'm kind of avoiding it. <laughs> How was God building Beniah? Did he come prepackaged like some bubble wrap toy? Was he l- taking a very good multivitamin, or did he have an Xbox to practice on? No, he didn't, didn't have any of those things that we have today. And what really mattered was who he followed. And who he followed was David. He met him down at the cave. And we know David was a shepherd. He knew how to lead, care, and protect the gentlest of animals. And we know that in Jesus is known as the good shepherd. David was a great and skillful fighter. He took down a lion and a bear while tending his father's sheep. And it reminds me of an old saying when I heard as a kid. I don't know if it's here. A man with a tiger by the tail knows a thing or two more than one who don't. And so he was able to instruct on how to take, take on animals like that to fight and prevail. He was fearless. David also met Goliath in battle armed with just his staff, a sling, and five smooth stones. Now that is a man with some faith and some fearless um, attitude. And he communicated that both in word and deed to all the men who came to him. David was also a psalmist. I mean, he was a gentle man in a a way. It says in the Bible that he was a man after God's own heart. And he wrote many of the psalms that we have in the book. And there are just wonderful psalms in there. Uh, And no doubt many of these were running through his heart and mind while he was on the run from Saul. And I'm sure that he spoke these to the men who gathered around him. And I was going to read all of Psalm 91, but we we may not have enough time. But I'll just read the first part and last. And you can imagine uh, David being in a cave, kind of hiding out um, from Saul, knowing that he, he can't kill him because there's a lot of reasons for that. He didn't want to do that. But Psalm 91 starts with, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And it ends with... Um, I'm, 91.15, he will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So that, uh, you know, I'd encourage you to go look at Psalm 91 and think about being in a, in a training ground and having your commander say those words to you that were given to him by God. So how does God build? He builds through the power of his word. He builds by godly example. And I've heard it said that the gospel is more caught than taught, that uh, you can say a lot of words, but really young kids and others kind of watch your actions. He builds you up by acts of service. You have to do something. It's not that you're saved by that. We're saved by faith alone. But uh, we, are, we are created and called to acts of service. Um, one skill in faith are actually are built by actually being engaged with things. You can, you can go to the gym and never lift a weight. You can go to the library, have your library card, and never read a book. You can come to church and only hold down a chair. And if you're looking to have your faith built, uh, you've got you've to put it in action. We find in James 2, 14, it says, Faith without works is dead. 
a, re a real impacting effectual faith will have results that will be lived out. Uh, it's not, it, it says faith is received alone. I said we're saved by it, but it doesn't stand alone. It has to be shown. So faith will be backed up by proof that is present in us. A common theme in uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, and I read books like this. It's a good book, actually, is the 10,000-hour rule. To be really excellent at something, you have to have 10,000 hours of practice. Uh, he uses many examples of compelling, and here's just a quick one. The Beatles met that 10,000-hour rule in Hamburg, Germany, before coming back to England, and they were a band that sounded like no one else. And so they had met that, and he uses lots of examples. I took, uh, I took uh, let's see, M Matt's here. He can do the math on this. If you take those 10,000 hours, divide them by an eight-hour day, you almost get three and a half years. And that is about the time that Jesus met with his disciples, I think, if you look. So I think they met the 10,000-hour thing. All right, okay. So I'm, I'm kind of getting off the thing here, but... Uh, <clears throat> Let's get back to David. Let's, let's get toward the end of his life. David's on the run for many years. David spares Saul's life. Saul took his own life before the Philistines did the job. He, he, he went on his own sword. There was a war between the house of Saul and David. David installed as king at the age of 30, and David reigns as king for 40 years. So all well and good. Extends the kingdom. But as he got older, one of his kids... One of his sons, Adonijah, one of his sons, sets himself up as king. He gets the support of the army commander and one of the priests. But David is horrified, for he has reserved that position as king to his son Solomon. That's the one who will build the temple and wrote a number of books here. So Adonijah's pre-coronation party was started and going strong, but neither Benaniah nor Nathan the prophet were even invited to the shindig. They didn't get the invitation. And why? Because the coup leaders knew that Benaiah could not be turned. He had a fierce loyalty to King David. And from the command of David to the actions of Benaiah and Nathan, Solomon was anointed king over all Israel, and Adonijah's party broken up. The conspirators ran for their lives, but they didn't get far because Benaiah was after them. And he dispatched them just as he's done with the other king's enemies. And you can read that as well. But we'll keep it clean. He, he was very good at that. So his actions paved the way for the great man of wisdom, Solomon, to take the throne and build the temple. And Benaiah, he became the army commander for Solomon. And perhaps the words of God spoken through David in Psalm 91 were going through his mind. With long life, I will satisfy him, and I will show him my salvation. So I say, long live Benaiah, the man whom God builds, and I look forward to meeting him someday, but hopefully not too soon. So how about us? How about us? How is God building us? Does this require three and a half years of our lives training at the Janolan Caves? And No, probably not. This is a good place to do it right here. And with this group of people, it's a great place for training. Like Benaiah, we have to seek out the true king. If we're putting our hope in something other than God to save us, we're going to be sorely disappointed. And we may end up distressed, in debt, and discontented like them of old. But you may find yourself that way today. 
Uh, but remember this, that God is looking for a great place to build. And he says this out of Psalm 51.7, A broken and contrite heart you, O God, will not despise. So he sees that as a great place to start building. Now, when I go into the big box hardware store to get some timber to uh, do some project at home, I take time to sort them out. You know, you look down the end. This one's bent. Ah, junk. This one's got a big knot in it. Nah, not going to work. That's probably where the nail has to go. This one's even split halfway down the board. Come on. They should do a better job sorting those. So that's how I select when I build. But God, on the other hand, selects differently. Uh, truth is, he'll take the whole lot. They go, yep, yep, load her up. Um, but he's most keen about the timber that I wouldn't select. Uh, these timbers allow him to show off his great skill at building. It shows the touch of his hand. So if you're broken, you've got a knot in you, you're split here, God really will use that to a magnificent effect. So a broken and contrite heart is one of the most favorable building sites for God. And perhaps Benaiah started at that place. So in any building, you have to lay a good foundation. Otherwise, the building would be unstable. <clears throat> in Matthew 7, this is Jesus speaking. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And I, did I underline that? Yeah. See, that's the other part. This is a conditional statement. Uh, and you've got to look for those in the Bible. Anyone who hears the words and puts them in practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because he had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them to practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, you can't generally see the foundation of a house or what it's built on, but it's the storms of life that will reveal them. And we all have storms in life, there's no doubt. Uh, in Luke 6, 48, this is Paul speaking, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And here's the testing. If anyone who builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through flames. <clears throat> I think a couple times in my life, um, uh, I was I was building I was uh, building things in my life, and I had to have it scraped back down to the foundation. the the first The first was a tower <laughs> uh, built on my athletic speed, which is long gone. Um, that tower was built really wasn't built on Christ. It was really a weak foundation, and it was completely destroyed when I had a compound fracture in my leg and ended up in the hospital for 12 days. That tower was gone. Another tower that I was building was built on religion and church doctrine. I was pretty good at it. Now, the foundation was Christ, but the tower, the tower lacked grace and humility. And God in his mercy swept that baby off 
it's off the foundation, just like removing crumbs from a table. I mean, God is good at doing that. And he set me to the task of rebuilding with his help. And this time, hopefully, it's out of the stuff that really lasts. So, so my question is, what are you building? Do you have some rickety old tower on your foundation, um, like me? Um, is it built only on your intellect or good looks or athleticism, your quick wit or skill? Maybe you're even building one on cynicism or negativity or pride. I can tell you this from my experience. They will be tried and they will come down eventually. And if you're wise, you would pray that they do. So we have the foundation. Now we need, I'm a little out of order in building, maybe. (laughs) But we have a plan. And I probably should have flipped these slides. But we find here in Ephesians 4.11, Christ gave the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, I hope you caught the most important. Who does the equipping? The, the church is here. That God gave us the church, all the people in it, to equip us. And we really need each other. I mean, we need God, obviously, but we need each other for that equipment. And what are we equipped for? We're equipped for works of service. And Why? to be built up as the body of Christ. And until when? Until we reach the unity of the faith and become mature, even to the full measure of Christ. Now, I have a tough time explaining the last one. I've tried for years to wrap my head around that last part, but I believe it in my heart that that's where God wants us to go. All right, so there's a plan. Uh, You need also, now let's look at the person. We need people with a teachable spirit. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, there it is again. We're being built up to do good works. Not that those save us, but that's what we're asked to do. Being teachable implies obedience. Jesus says if you love him, you obey his commands. How about the proper equipment, understanding, and training? In Ephesians 6.10, Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. Notice it says put on. It doesn't say, you know, have it in the closet. You know, you have to do something active with that. And that's why we have the church to equip us. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, and he reminds us again, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate plate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith for which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Amen for that. And this church does a great job of equipping people. How about the battle? Where are we going to be sent? Well, if you look around, the battleground is everywhere. I I mean, it's external. It's internal. The battle is waged far away. It's nearby. It's as close as our own heartbeat. We find it at work. We find it at home. It can be in direct. It can be intensely personal. But we are all engaged in it. 
Though we are reminded that uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 8, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we are ready to punish every evil act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Another thing to get your head around. Two last things about Benaiah. Uh, I try to notice details. My Kathy knows that I miss quite a few, though. <laughs> I, sometimes I, I'm in such a rush to get someplace that I forget things. But if you look at the verb tense in Benaiah, it's called the present perfect continuous. And it's said builds, not built. So that says that the work is active but unfinished. And I know that's really true. It's true in my life. I, I just know God's not done with me yet. I think he gives me the ability to see the next month and knowing what I've got to do. Um, and, and even when you're old in life, older, Bill and Dorothy, they're being, they're, they are in the process of, of building. They're being built. They're not fully there. They're, even they are unfinished, and they're, they're working on it. The three and the 30, let's go back to that. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He too was as famous as the three mighty warriors. He was held in greater honor than any of the 30, but he was not included among the three. That seems like a puzzling thing to me. If you count all the names of the mighty men that are in Samuel, you'll find they're actually 37. Now, how's that work, math? <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's 30, uh, I don't know, carry the one, I don't know. Um, I think what we're seeing here is that even though there's the 30, there's always room for more. And, and uh, God is always building people. So uh, uh, don't think that uh, it's crowded out or anything like that. He is looking to build you into one of the 30, man or woman. So what are our victories? <coughs> our victory is ultimately tied to our victor, who is Christ. I mean, that, it, the, the victory has been won. He defeated the law of sin and death and overcame the whole world. But what does that do for me? And, and really, the word is much. It does a lot. <coughs> Let me re- I'm just going to rattle off these uh, particular verses out of Scripture. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Romans 6.14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Corinthians 4.8, 2 Corinthians 4.8, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Deuteronomy 24. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you victory. Hebrews 3, 6, 13, 16. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And I could go on and on. I'm sure you have favorites about that. Uh, but Jesus is our victory, and he has our back, and he's the one who makes us fearless. So I know that was pretty quick. Uh, I got through it all, Greg. Actually, I had to cut some. <laughs> so I, I, can, I, can, I can zip through there. Um, it's amazing when you put together a message, the time you put and all the stuff that falls on the floor that you can't, can't squeeze in there. But, but I hope you heard God speaking to you and how God would build you up. And, uh, and, uh, and we can't just 
you know, sit over here and think, that, okay, God, do something. We have to be active. We have to be involved. We have to step out in faith. We have to be alive for him, and he'll give us the victory. And the victory happens. The victory happens whether you're active and sometimes where you're actively standing firm. And um, so um, uh, here's, a, here's a victory that we had, I think. Our, our, our youngest son has had a tough time with uh, anxiety and depression. Prayed for him. You think, oh, I got to do stuff. I got to do stuff for him. Oh, you got to go see this person. Oh, you got to do this thing or that thing. And we just, we just believe God that he would do something. And we got a, a fantastic word in the last few weeks that uh, I'd like to use his words. This is like a great war. Had ended. So there are victories. And that's really all I have to say today. So I got through it quick. So um, maybe um, I, I could say a prayer and the, the band could come up and uh, lead us in fantastic worship. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this man, Benaiah. I thank you for his fearlessness. Lord, I thank you that, that he sought you out. He sought out the true king. Uh, even though he came to you not in the best shape, you built him up, Lord. And we, we ask that you build everyone up here in this room. Lord, be with them. Give them the victory. Let them know that you are with them. Let them know that you have their back. Lord, we thank you for being our God. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name we, we pray. Amen. Uh, as you can tell, Eric is a teacher, and uh, he has taught us well this morning, hasn't he? Yes. He, here's the thing that I, I picked up on that, and, and uh, I don't say them as, in as eloquent a way as, as Eric does, but uh, you know what? Benaiah was just a loyal guy. He just got alongside David. He, just, he got with someone that he, he could see was, was valuing being alongside. He hung with him throughout all the thick and the thin, the tough, tough times, the, the good times, you know, and there was lots of those in, in their journey together. He, he wasn't the top three, but he was loyal. And I know for many of you, you know, there's things in your life you feel like you've got a God call in your life, a desire, and, and you're not seeing any evidence of that at this stage. Well, God looks at your heart. He doesn't look at the circumstances. He doesn't look at what you're uh, currently going through. He cares for you, but he doesn't really care what that's about. He's looking at you, the man, the woman, the God, how you persevere through those seasons, how you are trustworthy as you are loyal, as you hang on to the Word of God, as you, you hang with those people that you know he's put in your life in the good times and the bad times. You see, that's what Benaiah represents to me. A God that a guy that's in the Word of God. He's in the Bible. He's recognized as a great man, and yet he was never elevated to number one many times. So let's stand this morning.
because I just want to pray that into your life this morning, if that's all right. Just got a few minutes before we finish. Let's just close our eyes and reach out for God this morning. Father, I thank you, Lord, for those here this morning, God, that have got, I don't know, they've got a desire in their heart, they've got maybe a a word from you about something yet to come. In this season, it doesn't seem really evident. It doesn't seem like that's becoming evident. And yet, God, we don't give up. We, we, we hang tough right now, God. We, we get close to those people that we know that you've called into our lives, God. We, we hang on to your word, Lord. Father, I thank you for the, the trustworthy people here, Lord, that just sow their lives into building your kingdom. Father, I thank you for them. I thank you for their loyalty, not, not to me, to you, Father, but to this church because we know this church is a, a vehicle by which we can reach this community, that we can make a difference, God. Lord, we thank you for the ones that, that are still maybe in the 30 or, or, or they're not recognized in the top three or any of that sort of stuff. They're not getting recognized at all. And yet, God, you know who they are. God, you, you, you know exactly who they are. You know their hearts. You know their purity of thought. The desire for more of you, God. So, the Father, Father, this morning we position ourselves in you to know more of you in our lives. We thank you for this opportunity to, to dwell on your word, to get fed, to, to get an understanding of, of, of what your, your word says, God. And we take application for our lives and we apply it to our lives. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for you? And this morning, Lord, just while you've got your heads bowed and your eyes closed, Lord, I, I just want to give anyone here an opportunity who, who doesn't know Jesus. You know, we've been talking about the Old Testament and kings and wars and lions and bears and all sorts of stuff. You go, yeah, but what does that mean for me? Well, let me tell you what it means for you. It means that through Jesus Christ, we have got victory. Jesus is God's son. He came to this earth. He hung with us. He became man just like you and me, except he didn't sin. He was persecuted and murdered. He was hung on a cross. And after three days, he rose again. And he came to give us that same victory in our lives. And maybe here this morning, you have never understood what that victory represented. It's the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God, and he has already paid that price, that sacrifice, for our lives so we can live in that victory. And our response is we have to ask Jesus into our hearts to start this journey. And if you've never done that, I want to give you that opportunity this morning because this is where the journey starts. You ask Jesus into your heart to be your Lord and Savior. And from that point forward, your life will change. I'm not saying everything will work out. You'll be blessed in everything you do because that's just not the case but you'll have someone with you. You'll have Jesus in your heart. You'll have your spirit, the Holy Spirit with you. And if that's you this morning, I just want to give you an opportunity just to raise your hand and I'll recognize it because here's the start of the journey. If that's you this morning, just stick your hand up and I'll say, I'll recognize that. I'll, I'll look at you. And Is there anyone here this morning that knows they've got to do that? There's something in them that just, just says, I have to do this. 
I don't understand it all. I don't know what it means necessarily, but I have to do this. That's you just quickly. Father, I thank you those ones that you are drawing to you this morning. Through your spirit. You see, there's there's really no coincidences in God. There's no coincidences that you are here this morning. God is speaking into your life. And I pray this layer upon layer is just being built into your life. God, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to know you more. We pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message today brought to you by Baylife Church. We hope the message leaves you feeling challenged and inspired to live out your Christian walk. Please tune in again for next week's message.